It's the time of year for office parties, music concerts, ugly sweater contests, <laughs> and family gatherings where you have to see all those strange relatives. <laughs> when I was growing up, sometime around Christmas, our extended family would spend an afternoon in uh, Mechanicsburg at my aunt and uncle's house. There we'd exchange gifts, eat cookies, and sing. I have vivid memories of family sing-alongs <laughs> led by my uncle. He'd hand out song sheets and we'd sing some familiar songs, of course, but every once in a while, he'd mix in a lesser known song like Living in a Marshmallow World. Anybody ever heard of that one? It's new to me. My uncle was in his element as a song leader. He would wave his arms and sing with enthusiasm, often not on pitch. And I remember thinking to myself, how could anyone get this excited singing about marshmallows? <laughs> I love my family, but we can be a bit quirky. As we carried out our family traditions during those Christmas gatherings, more than a few times I wondered, why are we doing this? <laughs> Why is a good question to ask, especially this time of year. I want to talk to you today about the why of Christmas. The why of Christmas is actually a promise from God. It's God's promise to establish a new creation. And that includes you and me, your family, and my family. Really, it's a promise for everybody because Jesus came for everybody. And in our reading for today, we see that what God has done at Christmas means three things for us. First, new access to God. In this extraordinary vision that John describes, he hears a loud voice from the throne of God saying, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Sometimes the Greek word here is translated look or see. But I really like behold, because I think behold sounds more wondrous and, and more suited to the occasion. Behold, there's a sense of mystery. And what John is describing here is truly amazing. Jesus gives us new access to God. God is with us. He dwells among us. He has come to save us. Christmas shows us that. Because of Christmas, we have new access to God. Second, we also have new freedom. There's a town not far from here called New Freedom. Ever heard of it? Ever been there? New freedom means more than just a small town in southern York County. Because of what has begun at Christmas, God gives us a new freedom. Freedom from slavery to sin and death and the things associated with death. John tells us God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain 
for the old order of things has passed away. Now, this is a reference to an earlier passage of Scripture, a passage from the book of the prophet Isaiah, who wrote that God will swallow up death forever, the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth, the Lord has spoken. Isaiah wrote those words well before the time of Jesus. And about 800 years later, Jesus would come to do just that. He came to set us free from our fears, from our shame, from our disgrace, from whatever might bind us or hold us back, that we would be truly free. Tears, suffering, disgrace, and death are still part of this present world, but they don't have the final word. God promises that the day is coming when those things will totally pass away because with the coming of Christ, a new world has begun. Christmas gives us new access to God and new freedom. Third, it also gives us a new identity. Identity is so important. It's who we are at the most basic level. What is your identity? What defines you? Is it what you do for a living? Is it your last name and family heritage? Is it the things you've done in the past, whether good or bad? Or is it something even deeper that really defines who you are? In our reading for today, God says, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is a statement about identity, about what really defines us. And here's what that is. We're children of God. By God's grace, we're adopted into his family. We receive a new identity. Elsewhere in scripture, we read this promise. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. If you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus and you follow Jesus, you are a new person with a new identity. The wonderful thing about this new identity is that it's not based on our performance. It's not based on what we do or the things we have done. It's based on Jesus and his love. It's based on who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and who he says we are, his people. We belong to Jesus. Our identity is defined by Jesus. Our life is found in Jesus. Through the gift of Christmas, God gives us new access to him, new freedom, and a new identity. All this is available to us now, and yet there's so much more still to come. We're in this time of the already and the not yet. During the season of Advent, we're waiting to celebrate Christ's birth again. It's almost here. Our family is using an Advent calendar uh, to count down the days 
You know those calendars? Maybe some of you are using them. It's a great tradition. On some Advent calendars, uh, you open up a door for each day and then see what's behind it. Something that makes the manger scene more complete. Or maybe, if it's an elaborate Advent calendar, a note or a little gift. It can be fun to see what's behind those doors. I heard someone say, I don't have an Advent calendar, so I'm just opening up cupboard doors and eating whatever's behind them. <laughs> I suppose that's one approach to Advent. But really, it's about waiting. During Advent, we're waiting for what is coming, the annual celebration of Jesus' birth. But that's not all we're waiting for. We're also waiting for the completion and the full disclosure of the kingdom of God. I don't know when that's going to come, but it will come in God's way, in God's good time. And we look around our world now and we see that our world is groaning for this new creation. And it's been that way for quite some time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was executed for opposing Hitler. And one of the things Bonhoeffer said, part of his great legacy, is captured in a phrase here that begins with the words, our whole life is Advent, a time of waiting for the ultimate for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Our whole life, he said, is Advent. Not just these weeks leading up to Christmas. Our whole life is about waiting, waiting, longing for the ultimate, for God's promise to be fulfilled of a new heaven and a new earth. Earlier, I mentioned the rousing sing-alongs at uh, Christmas celebrations for my extended family. We also developed another tradition over the years. My grandma would uh, treat us to Christmas lunch at the Yorktown Hotel. And it was, it was truly amazing. Um, it was a beautifully decorated place with lights, garland, ice carvings. I know it's under uh, renovation now. I'm excited to see what it looks like when the, the renovation is complete. But for our Christmas Day meals at the Yorktown, there was delicious food and an all-you-can-eat buffet, which was fine with me. And the buffet included a wide variety of dessert options. One of the desserts on offer was called Bananas Foster. I had never before heard of Bananas Foster, but as I learned that day as a young teenager, it's a dessert with three main ingredients. Banana, of course, sugar, and rum. <laughs> sure enough, my grandmother chose the Bananas Foster for her dessert. She had one bite and raved about it. So delicious, she said. She finished her dessert and then used her spoon to get as much sauce from the plate as possible. You know, not wanting to waste anything. Uh, and and then, she, then she finished that and gave another enthusiastic endorsement. Best bananas foster I've ever had. 
And I thought to myself, Grandma, how many have you had? <laughs> By this point, I started to wonder if she had consumed a little too much of that sauce with rum in it. My cousins and I exchanged knowing glances and, and suppressed our laughter. And then she turned to someone else in our group who had also chosen the same dessert, but had started it, but hadn't finished. And she said, um, do you mind if I finish your Bananas Foster? <laughs> it was so unlike my grandma. But she was on a mission. My cousins and I had a good laugh that day. It was a story we told for years to come. She was, you might say, thirsty for Bananas Foster sauce. Jesus talks about being thirsty, not for Bananas Foster sauce, but thirsty for living water. And in our reading for this morning, don't miss this part of, of the text. This is so important. Jesus says this, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Is anyone here looking for that living water? I know I am. I know I need it. When I look at my life, there are few things I want more or need more, nothing really, than this water that, that truly satisfies and gives life, abundant, eternal life. I'm running after all this stuff. I'm consumed with all these different things. Maybe for you, it's money, status, relationships, or just somehow trying to keep up with everybody else. Yet, none of it is ever enough. We continually thirst for more. But hear this. Jesus promises to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. These words from our Lord and in their own way, our Christmas traditions and gatherings, quirks and all, provide a glimpse for us of what is to come. They help us see what God promises in the new creation that is the why of Christmas, the reason behind it all, when we will forever be with God face to face and when God dwelling with us will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The glory of that moment is depicted in this beautiful painting. It's called First Day in Heaven. And it's by an Egyptian uh, painter named Karolos Safwat. First Day in Heaven. Look at that. Pure joy. Pure joy. Here's another picture. This one by Grace Remington shows Eve and Mary. You can get a closer look in your bulletin. Will you please take out your GPS, the Grow, Pray, Study Guide, on the back of the prayer list? This week's GPS includes that.
that painting and some questions for you to consider. What's going on here? Eve is holding the apple. She's the one on the left, of course. She's holding the apple in her right hand, the very apple she and Adam ate in direct disobedience to God's command. And already we see that what's happening in, in Christ, at Christmas goes back to the very beginning. That this was part of God's plan from the beginning. And you see further down that the serpent who had deceived Adam and Eve has wrapped itself around her legs. She's basically bound by deception. And she bows her head in shame. Yet the picture dis displays more than just despair. It conveys hope. There is Mary on the right-hand side, the mother of Jesus, touching Eve's face and holding Eve's hand over the place where the baby Jesus is growing within her. Mary is also trampling on the serpent. The power of Christ in her is greater than the power of the deceiver and the enemy. That same power lives in us, too. I'd like to invite you to spend a few minutes looking at this picture and ask yourself these questions. What stands out? What stands out to you? Who or what do you most identify with here? In this season of Advent, as you wait for Jesus' birth, what is God inviting you to release? What is God inviting you to embrace? You can find those questions and others on the GPS. Reflect on this picture and what God might want to say to you through it.
Mary consoles Eve because the child in Mary's womb is the savior of the world. Christmas makes our redemption possible. Here's what that means for you and me. You can take your shame, your sadness, whatever might have you bound and imprisoned, your longing to be made whole, and your longing for more, and you can take all that and bring it to Jesus just like Eve does in this picture. God wants every part of who we are, not just our best, but also our worst. God isn't looking for our pretty Sunday morning version of ourselves. Instead, he's looking for the real us, the unfiltered person we really are. The good, bad, and ugly. The bitterness we have toward that person who hurt us. The anxiety we feel from not measuring up to where we hoped to be in life. Sadness over broken relationships. Fear going into the new year and facing the unknown. God wants us to bring all of this to him. He invites you to bring your bitterness, anxiety, sadness, and fear, and to turn that over to him, to trust him. We can do that because in Jesus, God has come to be with us. In Jesus, God has come to meet us right where we are, to take us by the hand and lead us where he wants us to go. Jesus is our hope, our healer, our redeemer. Jesus was born for you. This is what Christmas is ultimately about God's promise of a new creation. And we get a foretaste of that here and now, giving us new access to God, new freedom, and a new identity now and forever. This is the why of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in Jesus' birth, you have come to bring us your salvation. You've come to initiate and establish your kingdom, leading to the new creation that you promise. Help us this Christmas grow closer to you, you who have come to be with, with us and to be our Savior and our living hope, now and always. And we pray, God, that this Christmas, you will draw people to the light, that you will draw us to the light, that you will draw those around us, those who need most to see that there is hope, to the light in Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray in his name, and as he taught us, now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom.